0: It's not working. I don't know why it's not working. Dad, why do you keep taking my shirts? Dad?
1: (laughs) Dad?
2: (laughs) That's the cold open right there. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Chats, a television podcast, book three Avatar, the last chat spender, or Chat Spender for short. My name is Magellan, and I'm joined by Ponytail Guy,
0: Alan. Ponytail Guy gets hotter and hotter over the course of the show, just like I get hotter and hotter over the course of this show. <sighs> How's it going, Magellan?
2: <laughs> he sounded like the last five minutes of an episode of Dragon Ball Z.
0: <laughs> next time on it. I mean, that's, this. Fun. let's pull back the current. I'm getting hotter. I'm getting hotter over time. That's the voice I'm doing when I do next time on the last chat. I'm exactly doing the next time on Dragon Ball Z. guy. I... Mm-hmm. What's up, Majan? Nothing doing?
2: much, man. Just just trying to keep on chilling.
0: It is cold out? I didn't know if that was the <laughs> beginning it. of an end it. of a sentence. It. I was that...
2: trying to drink water. Well, I wanted to make it sound like there was going to be a second and third thing but there was only the first thing
0: yeah that kind of threw me for a loop
2: speaking of throwing things for the for for a loop i'm gonna throw out this intro and throw in the next part that's still sort of an intro but in a different way listen here's the show every week we watch and discuss two episodes of avatar the last airbender and that's what we do this week we watched Season two, episode five, Avatar Day, and season two, episode six, The Blind Bandit. The first episode we watched this week was Avatar Day, which was written by John O'Brien and directed by Lauren McMullen. Alan, what did you think of Avatar Day?
0: I thought Avatar Day was a lot of fun. I liked certain aspects of it. I saw, I thought that it was another good humor episode, and the show is getting uh, more mature with its humor and it isn't just going for the easy jokes uh and i liked certain ang scenes a whole lot but uh i don't know most of it is pretty and in, in a lot of ways just like a little bit forgettable and it isn't exactly gonna be in like my top five favorite episodes but it was a good time uh what did you think of this episode
2: i thought it was really funny i sort of i take some issue with you saying it's forgettable that <sighs> said I did watch it a few days ago, and it took me about five minutes to remember what the episode was about, so maybe you are right. Um, but I had a really fun time watching it. Uh, I thought it was engrossing, and the laughs were coming pretty quick in this one. I I always think that this show is a funny show, but then there's some episodes like this one that pop up, and it's like, oh, this is actually a few notches above the show's standard in terms of, of goofiness.
0: Right. When it goes for a higher level of funny, it hits it a yeah. lot of times. Yeah. Especially when you get Sokka being detective Sokka. That's such a funny bit that they can that they keep going through like as a recurring gag through this episode. Yeah, they is, they're
2: they're doing more um riffing on on genre tropes. Sort of aim, aiming at, I think aiming at a at a at an older audience with those parts of the jokes to supplement jokes that may appeal to a younger crowd.
0: Right, and it's, it's, it's just fun. I, I also just think in general, it's fun to see Sokka get to be his self, get to be wacky and funny and not like have to act too tough, like he just gets to be silly the whole episode. Uh, he loses his one thing this episode, in fact, which is his, his, um, not hammer. What is that? Like his mace thing? His weapon? His boomerang. His boomerang. Oh, because then later he's like, boomerang, you do always come back. That's the cutest moment.
2: Yeah. I mean, you can kind of tell from a mile away that that's what the joke's going to be, but it's very. But then
0: it's there and you're still happy that it got there.
2: You still cry a little bit when
0: it happens. Yeah. Just a little bit. The one tear. And they're at this new area of the Earth Kingdom where we there's a brief moment where they're like, oh, you guys don't take water tribe money or something. Or they do because they're like, money's money. Mm. And I was like, oh, my God. Alan loves different cultures having different currency. That's my stuff (laughs) right there. I like
2: that, too. That's my stuff, too.
0: That's so our stuff. (laughs) (laughs) That's so us. That's so us. It's, It's just classic us. They have, like, different money. Even though it's all coins. It's all basically coin-based. But um, their currency, like, converts differently and stuff. I thought that was a fun touch. And speaking of fun touches, this episode introduces to us, Hey, what are you guys celebrating? Oh, Avatar Day. And I love, like, in-universe holidays is another big thing that I love. It's the idea is the whole, like, conflict of the episode is they think, the gang thinks, Avatar Day is a holiday. To celebrate Aang and his predecessors, specifically Kiyoshi, but in reality, as they learn, as they get to this town, it's basically the opposite of that. It's an anti-Avatar day. They
2: burn the avatars in effigy. Right, exactly. So very, like these very gigantic cool straw things. Kids TV show, Nickelodeon cartoon, <laughs> with this gruesome depiction of
0: mob burning. <laughs> And people cheering over fire, destroying culture. Yeah, yeah, just a good time. I I
2: loved the premise and the setup of this episode, in part because they didn't need to invent that much new information. Um, I think that the the most... For me, the most pleasing introductions to an episode of a TV show are ones that use elements that have already existed to serve as an engine for the plot so for Sokka he already had his boomerang right and the boomerang didn't necessarily have much significance before this but then this episode is saying what if we take that away and now that is an arc for this character with the avatar stuff it's saying we've seen a society that celebrates Kiyoshi in the warriors of Kiyoshi now what if we see a society that does the opposite so we're not. It it's not much of a stretch to come up with this episode, which actually makes it for me much more enjoyable to to enter into as a viewer.
0: it fits into the world really nicely. Just like this season is now developing this trend of we're gonna go back to an idea or literally a place mm-hmm. from last season and recontextualize it. Because return to Amashu is, hey, remember that fun place with the slides and the wacky Earth King. Uh, what if that place got taken over by teenage firebending girls? Uh, what would happen? And how would we deal with that? And this is like, hey, Kiyoshi's cool. But what if she was the worst? What if she was the villain that we structure our culture around hating? Because uh, what they find out is that the reason that this is an anti-Avatar Day is this town thinks that Kiyoshi, at some point in her, her past, uh, or the past, killed Chin the Great, who is their uh, sort of like leader, head of their town, etc. Uh, and they think that she, he was killed unfairly by her in a fight. Um, but Aang is like, I don't know, I'm not Kiyoshi, I'm not my dad, I'm not my grandma Kiyoshi. <laughs> it's this whole like do we... It, it brings up this interesting uh, sort of like moral or legal quandary of like, is Aang held responsible for the faults of his predecessors? Right. right. Which you know again has a lot of as the show often does has a lot of like real world connections back to like do people in cultures that did like horrible things in the past need to feel regret or somehow pay back other cultures in this day and age or are we past it because that wasn't my fault that was my great great grandfather's fault um so Aang has to sort of deal with that he's put on trial which is uh a lot of fun to watch Mm -hmm. and uh
2: I, I was pretty hyped for this show to turn into Boston Legal, even for just a little bit. <laughs>
0: as soon as those horns kicked in, I was like, "Yes, yeah, right, okay, bring on the." <laughs> I've never watched Boston Legal. It's a fun show. Is Kelsey Grammer on it?
2: No, you're who's think, like the Boston thinking Legal guy, James Spader, who's sort of like a a melted Kelsey Grammer.
0: He's <laughs> <laughs> like, what if Kelsey Grammer saw the Ark of the Covenant?
2: <laughs> yeah, but like turned away
0: yeah like for like one second, yeah no, that's like Jimmy spader and William Shatner, right
2: yeah well William, well William Shatner's sort of like the um he's there for people to be like, oh, that's the show with William Shatner in it, but he's not really like a huge character, oh okay, or I uh, don't know uh, he's like he's like a pretty static character anyway, this is right, not a Boston right. legal show, but it could be yet? it very well could be.
0: With your hard-earned dollars. <laughs> We've thought this exact joke before. <laughs> that's okay. With Boston Legal? Uh, no, with uh, this isn't a blank podcast, but it could be with your hard-earned money. Mm. Well, it's a really good joke. That well, it's we because it's not really a joke. Oh, it's true. Yeah. Our Kickstarter started already. Look under your seats. Our Kickstarter is right there. <laughs> um. So, yeah, they're but, but they're yeah, at first. You make a
2: good point about... um. This this episode is challenging us to think about the avatar and to what degree new avatars are responsible for the mistakes of old avatars, because all avatars share the mission of creating balance in the world, presumably being some sort of agent of justice. And so also on top of that, avatars are are human, which means that they can make mistakes in their deliverance of justice so this episode is sort of saying hey maybe ang is going to be held responsible or feel responsible for things that people hold against the avatar
0: right and, and especially for a 12 year old that's a lot of burden to handle right and um yeah so asaka and katara spend the episode trying to clear his case And say, wait a minute, this isn't what happened. Let's get down to the real story of the past. Which, Mm -hmm. again, common things coming up in the show a lot are like re-exploring something or like re-examining agreed upon history. And sort of breaking Mm -hmm. it down and determining what's what's true from the stories that we tell our kids. Right. And what's not true. Yeah. Uh, So they start by investigating the scene of the crime. And uh, they notice that the, the it's sort of like a Phoenix Wright thing where they go to all the different parts, parts of the the story before determining, oh, we need to actually go to Kyoshi Island, go back there and talk to those people and see what they think. Kind of get the other perspective because geographically, Kyoshi Island is like across the water from this place, uh, literally, uh, which becomes a plot point later. Mm hmm. And they go back and it's a lot of fun to go back and see all of the fangirls and everyone's excited. And the foam mouth guy, of course.
2: Yep. they You could not miss him. They lingered on him for a solid minute or so.
0: Right, he like gets character development this time because he's there. I'll just and he's it's like he's there for longer. And he goes, "Wait a minute, I, I need to stop doing this. <laughs> I pass out a lot whenever the avatar's here. Maybe I need to work something out in my own head." So I think yeah. next time we see him, he's gonna be like an accomplished Wall Street banker, uh, working for the weekend, basically. Uh-huh. <laughs> Can you tell I had no end for that sentence? And I just picked song? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Before I forget to mention, also. James Hong, legendary character actor. If we're talking about amazing polls for, like, good voice actors, James Hong, probably, like, one of the longest credit lists on all of IMDb, um, plays General Fong or Mr. Fong, whatever, the guy who runs this island that hates the Avatar. Yeah. I think we had a comment from someone that was saying that they, like, get nightmares from hearing that voice now. I love James Hong. He's so weird and creepy and funny. He has this, like, type of voice that as soon as I hear it, I'm like, "That's James Hong," and then I I think there's just like something inherently. Uh, it's not. It's nice to to see them like, "Oh, this is a show that's about Asian culture," and they're actually getting those actors to be in it too, which is yeah, it's better than the questionable uh, like racial choices they have also made in the past.
2: And his character is hilarious. It it's a perfect blend of intimidating and satirically frustrating because he he's essentially judge jury executioner for ang's right. trial um there's a moment where sock and katara have assembled all of their evidence Sokka with his dragon bubble pipe and and you know uh magnifying glass and katara with her actually solving the mysteries right like a minute before Sokka <laughs> does um yeah. they go to Kyoshi and they figure out okay it the story that these people have about avatar Kiyoshi cannot be true because the temple that they're claiming she kicked their leader out of and off the cliff didn't exist at this point. And at the, at the point that they're talking about the islands were actually one big island. Um, Oh, and also my favorite detail, avatar Kiyoshi has like the biggest feat of any avatar ever, um, it's just so huge she, huge toes so she couldn't have left the footprint um, <laughs> and so they present all of this to the leader of the island and he is, he shrugs it off and he says essentially that it doesn't really matter because what's going to happen is I'm going to tell my story, Aang's going to tell his story and then I'm going to say that Aang's guilty and then he and says my favorite line in the episode which is
0: that's why we call it justice because it's just us
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh there's a there's a legal boardroom somewhere where somebody said that and was really felt really smart about it um um but yeah yeah
2: then and, and that that line and the delivery of that line it just it feels like a perfect representation of an angle that the show takes sometimes which is looking at the older generation and seeing the way that they carry out justice as inherently flawed um and there are moments where the show has done that to different degrees i think we saw that in the airbending masters who chose to separate Aang from um what was his name the guy that he liked Master uh, Monkeyazzo? Monkeyazzo, thank you. Um we see that with Zuko's father and you know I think we see that in other older figures at different points of the show that um it seems as if and we'll see it in the next episode that we're about to discuss that the older generation is misguided and that the younger generation has to sort of set things right. Um and this character is is really the the jester version of, of that trope and that theme.
0: Yeah, and it's this also this whole, like, hey, the legal system is broken, which is a really important thing for young kids to learn. Again, this show being smart, not only for its main characters teaching them, but also teaching its listening and viewing audience.
2: Yeah, and it, it's a chilling commentary on the court of public opinion, right? And this, you know, fake news and, and all that stuff that really people are just inclined to listen to the charismatic leader who's telling them the story that they want to hear rather than the actual facts of the situation. Because when Ang gets up there and tries to relay the truth and does so in a rather unconvincing manner, people don't believe him even though it's the truth. People believe the person who's telling the best story, not the person who's telling them the truth.
0: Because it's easy to say... I know the truth of this situation. I can prove it, so I'm just going to win. But in reality, if the other guy can tell a better story, convince people better, then the system is played against you, fam. It's just against you. You're not going to win. And that's sad. You know what is not sad, though? Before we, again, like... So many little moments in this episode that I do enjoy. Uh, when Aang is in prison, actually waiting to be put on trial, he he runs into a bunch of people in his jail cell. There's like... um. There's like some tattoo men. are supposed to be, the joke is that it's like a bunch of beefy, scary men in prison. And he's like, oh no, I'm going to get hurt in prison.
2: Yeah. It, it, it could, it could have gone pretty bad. And then they, they take a sharp right turn into the, you know, it could have been one cheesy trope and then they turn it into the, the very common cheesy subversion of that cheesy trope. But it's a fun subversion, so I think it works.
0: Right. Because, so basically what we're talking about is these men seem really serious and like they're going to hurt Aang. That's the one trope. But But it turns out they're really sensitive and they believe in his case and they think that he deserves to be free. One of them literally cries for his freedom and that's beautiful. And I love to see men being emotional. I think that's actually a good thing. I think the reason it's handled well is because it does not toe the line between like, Ah, uh, emotional men are funny. Like, yeah, it's the joke that the guy the guy cries, but also it's like, all right, the guy cries, and they they feel bad for him, but they care about him, and they say like, you know, you're gonna be fine, man, you can do it. <laughs> That's so nice.
2: It's not. It's not even they're crying for his freedom. He's telling them about um, Katara and like how he likes Katara, right? They and they're, they they're in, giving in him love, love advice.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I I just I like those guys a lot, and I really. I like that that scene didn't go too far into, like, they're actually a bunch of gay men or anything like that. You know what I mean? Yeah,
2: they're just good guys that are supporting. Yeah, exactly. Him. Yeah. So I think that that worked.
0: And uh, what, they deter- what they find out, what their-, their strategy is, if we dress Aang, this is like uh, Katara and Sokka, if we dress Aang like Kiyoshi when he's put on trial, which, again, really could have gone for an easy like, cross-dressing joke. But as we saw in the Kiyoshi episode, uh her outfit and stuff is very cool and there isn't much that's feminine about it anyways, other than the fact that it is a dress, I guess. I think um, I think
2: there are trappings of it that are traditionally feminine, feminine that maybe we don't necessarily recognize as such. But yeah, it it's certainly not something that we would recognize as, as stereotypically feminine.
0: Right. Stuff like the face mask and the like the dress stuff is is obviously it's there but um it isn't like he's wearing booby armor and that's the joke is like he looks like a girl right and when when, um, I, when i
2: say we i mean you and me alan yes yes yeah western the host of chess. men
0: yeah Yes. uh the joke ends up actually being he's a small man in big people clothes <laughs> right right Which I can... um and it, the
2: costume's awesome and the other part of it that makes it not a cross-dressing joke at all is that ang later fights in that costume using yeah she's weapons and it's
0: kicks butt
2: yeah he does really well to the point where you almost wish that ang always had fans because it makes more sense for him to have
0: fans right for airbending that just that's much more practical seems cooler yeah Their idea is that if we have him dressed like this, maybe he'll end up channeling Kiyoshi and like maybe some cool magic will happen and she'll go through him and explain things. And like they say that like that's a joke. Like, Well, this is the only idea we have (laughs) and it doesn't work. And then it totally actually works. It definitely completely
2: does. It's Jennifer Hale. She's here. Listen, guys, I did it. I killed that guy that you thought I killed. He was a bad man. I'm a tough girl. Go away shut up I split I the didn't. islands in half yeah with my raw godlike power I split the islands in half and your leader fell like a dumb man
0: <laughs> Again recontextualizing history like like rewriting the history books you guys thought that this person was a superhero and I killed him for unfair reasons in the field of battle actually he was terrible and I created geography and he fell like i didn't i didn't even like kill him intentional he just kind of fell <laughs> that's the joke and he he like um looney tunes falls where he like is floating over and he goes yeah. oh, 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 whoopsie and then slides and they're, does that work no that doesn't work is the thing uh because well, they're it, like well it's
2: funny because f- up to this point we've only seen avatar roku inhabit Aang's body if that's what's going on We've only seen Avatar Roku present himself through Aang. And Roku has been unquestionably um benevolent towards our group. Yeah, like, he's clearly so on our side and wants us to do well, wants to help Aang as much as possible. He visits yeah. Aang and gives him advice, that sort of thing. Kiyoshi doesn't really care, it seems. <laughs> she just wants to let those people know that she did what she did. For justifiable reasons. Um, and she kind of wanted to set those people straight. And then it doesn't really matter to her what happens to Aang, which is pretty cool, honestly. And Aang just has to kind of figure it out himself.
0: Oh, well, because she's like two generations apart, whereas I think Roku is the last generation before Aang. Yeah, right. So th- th- even that idea of like distance through time, like she just is so separate that she's just like, I. I'm here to defend my own name. I don't care about this kid who is now me. Uh, before I forget, also, one more thing. We were talking about James Hong, and then you were talking about the monks not letting him stay with uh, mm-hmm. Monk, Yatso. Monk Yatso. James Hong also voices one of the monks. He voiced one of the monks, whose name was Monk Tashi. Oh, so, uh, Hashtag connections. I just wanted to point that he out. Just, so he just has, like, has
2: that voice of like misguided authority. I feel like he gets put in that roll a lot because he sells it really well
0: right this like confidently nonsensical like ah, I, I know something that everyone else doesn't know blah, blah, here's my my leader plan and they're like what he's like exactly the misguided authority is a perfect way to point them to, to, to nail that so she tells she gives her case james hong's character basically says that's fine i believe you but also, we're still gonna punish him because that doesn't mean you didn't do it, and he has to stand trial for something. Which again, legal system—it's messed up. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> so, so they
2: spin- yep, they bring out um, the wheel of punishment, and I—I I loved the um, the the bailiff of this case, the very deep-voiced guy who goes. The accused will now present its art. and then it's like the accused will now spin the wheel of punishment, and uh, Ang spins it. We're crossing our fingers for community service, but um, of <laughs> course, Ang lands on. Looks like it's boiled in
0: oil. <laughs> Looks like it's boiled in oil is just a good line, really. Yeah, it's um, it's a, it's a very funny.
2: Funny-sounding, horrible way to die. uh, Boiled in oil. (laughs) Yeah, but it truly, the thought of it is truly horrific.
0: For sure. It's like, again, wow, this is a kid's show. Uh, I was just happy that the quote-unquote wheel of torture wasn't like, it didn't go fully dark to be like, we're going to tie Aang to a wheel and spin him until he dies. Which would be, again, silly, but dark. It's literally, it's like Wheel of Fortune right it's yeah essentially we love misfortune oh we why not mr fortune you know what i mean okay and uh i try smiled try that i smiled minutes.
2: but it doesn't play on audio so <laughs> ang's gonna fun. get boiled in oil but then uh-oh look who's here some fire nation dudes who have horses and are kind of like a like a rock and roll battalion of fire nation dudes I don't know, something about him was just kind of cool and and kinda like just hip
0: and different. The rough rhinos, you mean?
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Yes, you're right.
0: Yeah, the rough rhinos are sweet. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they are sweet. They're like a motorcycle gang. Um, and there's this amazing fight that we already talked about um a little bit. Aang is wearing the Kiyoshi outfit, using the fans. Sokka gets his boomerang back. It came back to me. Yay. Katara, again, doing some really cool water bending. Again, getting more and more powerful every time we see her do that. And then the button of this whole episode was... Honestly, I was, like, floored by how clever this episode punchline was. Because when they first come to the festival... They are, Sokka's eating the festival food and he's raving over all of the fried things like the fried dough and stuff.
0: And it's nice to appreciate their deep fried festival food.
2: And you think, oh, that's funny. That's something that Sokka would like. He loves food, fried dough, it's a festival. You totally forget it. And then at the end, now they're going to eat unfried dough on Avatar Day to commemorate the fact that Aang was not boiled in oil. (laughs) <laughs> and it—that's so, that's so smart.
0: I was like mad at how smart that is. It's simple, but as soon as somebody said that in the writers' room, they were like, "Oh, w- uh, w- <laughs> we have to do that." Are you kidding me? Yeah. I mean, we're eating like fire flakes earlier. Like Fireflakes is a Joker that they they bring back a lot, or it's just like the Fire Nation and people who like fire eat fire flakes, and now we're eating fried mm-hmm. dough because burning. But they don't tell, like you said, they don't say in the beginning we were eating fried food because it's burning. You just—that's just the assumption. And then when they say no, now we're eating unfried food. It's like, oh whoa! It like unlocks the humor of the previous scenes, also. Mm-hmm.
2: It—it's yeah, it's a great callback, and it, yeah.
0: And it's such a funny visual to watch, Qatar like eat this mushy gingerbread <laughs> ang. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh, please don't eat that. That's raw food. Oh God. Oh, here comes the salmonella. Gross, gross. And then she eats it, and Saka eats it, and Ang's like, what do you? Wh- <laughs> and that's the episode
2: yeah and it it's these people are still awful like this town of people is still bad i think that's that's another thing that's great about it this season of avatar for me has given us more more people who are hypocritical more people who are unquestionably icky as people and even though the town has changed their mind about hating the avatar at the end of this episode, they're not redeemed. They're still misguided. They're still short-sighted. And so they think, oh yeah, this really horrible snack food, that's a way to commemorate the fact that our lives were saved by somebody that we were about to kill. <laughs> anyway. The the other thread of this episode that we haven't talked about is the part that broke my heart fully in half, <laughs> which is uh, Zuko and Iroh's story. The ah. the Cliff Notes version of, of most of it is that Zuko is on a sugar high after his murder, <laughs> <laughs> after his full-on kill that probably happened last time, and he's just stealing from people. He's going around and taking food and supplies for himself and his uncle. His uncle tries to... Iroh tries to steer him away from that and has some really really fantastic lines he tells zuko that there's a simple honor in poverty and says in the darkest times hope is something you give yourself that is the meaning of inner strength so he's trying to impart to zuko these constructive life lessons to make him a better person and what zuko gets from it is uh you know what uncle I've decided that we shouldn't travel together anymore. Mm, we can't be friends. And I... oh man, that hurts.
0: Ugh. The saddest thing about it for me is that Zuko leaves and Iroh gives him the horse, camel, whatever, the animal that they stole from the girl a couple of... Back several episodes ago. Mm-hmm. And I... I love this show's ability to hold on to its continuity and, like, bring it back continuously. And just to bring that idea back that, like, this is... The the ostrich thing is supposed to represent, like, Zuko's struggle to be a good person. Mm-hmm. Like, he was willing to steal it because he was like, well, this is me helping me out. I don't care if this is this girl's... I'm, like, actually stealing from a good person. And now, Iroh is saying, you can have that. You can have that choice that you made a while ago. You, I don't need this, like, false sense of freedom and movement anymore because I'm not going anywhere without you. I'm just going to mm. kind of wander and be a hermit until I die. If I don't have you motivating me, like, all right, right, good luck with that. He doesn't do it with any malice or ill intent. Like, he's actually giving it to Zuko to help him. But there's just something so sad about, like, him handing off the reins to this opportunity to get somewhere. Right. And this, like, hope for freedom that he's giving off to Zuko.
2: And it, it's sort of it's sort of the mirror... I, I was saying before that sometimes the show, really I think a lot of the time Ang and his friend's side of things shows the hypocrisy of, of the older generation and a, a mis, misassignment of, of justice or of consequences that somehow needs to be righted. And I think for Zuko and Iroh, it can show the hypocrisy or, or the challenges of youth. And whereas with, with youth trying to correct the transgressions of the older generation, it's about taking control and rising up and whatever, for the older generation trying to correct the younger, it's about letting go. It's about saying, I know what's best for Zuko, I know what he needs to learn to be a good person, but at a certain point, I can't be the one to teach it to him. He has to figure it out for himself
0: he has to come back to me when he needs me back again yes
2: and i think iroh knows that he'll come back but this moment is is painful
0: it's like he says growing up in a lot of ways is about realizing that the best tea tastes
3: delicious whether it comes in a porcelain pot or a tin cup
0: that's that's the line that that summarizes iroh's sort of thinking in here it's like well this guy needs to realize uh (laughs) where where to get the best tea (laughs) you know um and ha- and he has to figure it out on his own. Yeah. So really sad, um but the good news is this leads to the best Zuko episode. So I'm pretty pretty excited. We'll see it. you next week for that one. <laughs> Majel, do you have any other notes from this episode that you wanted to talk no. about? No. <laughs> Gosh, no. Oh, no, I want to hear the trivia. Okay. This is the first time in Book 2 that Zuko mentions his goal of capturing the Avatar. Oh. <laughs> When playing detective, Sokka affects an unusual hat and ornate pipe based off of Sherlock Holmes. Yes. Yes. Ooh, here's one. Sokka's special detective hat is the winged cap traditionally worn by Chinese magistrates, who in Chinese literature were often depicted as great detectives. Oh. Oh. Looky, looky. Even though Kiyoshi confesses, in the flashback, yep, it shows that she did not actually kill Chin the Conqueror. She just caused the conditions that led to him falling. Um... And this technically, this that concept comes back uh, mm-hmm. later. Mm-hmm. The bailiff repeatedly refers to oh, I love this. The bailiff repeatedly refers to Aang as it, either unsure whether it is Kyoshi a female or Aang a male that is up for trial, or in an effort to further humiliate the Avatar, denying him humanity even in the pronoun used to address him. Because mm. he could have very easily used they if he didn't, if he was trying to be like gender neutral, right. and just be like to you the male avatar into all of your male and female predecessors. I accuse all of you. He says it, which I think is more of a dehumanizing thing. I agree. This is the only episode in book two prior to Toph joining the group where the kids do not mention the search for an earthbending teacher. So this is the last time that they don't have an earthbending teacher. Basically. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) this is the first time hair loopies are mentioned by their name, referring to the scene when, uh, I think, uh, Sokka, after he loses his boomerang, is like, I feel like I've lost part of my identity.
2: Imagine if you lost your arrow, or if Katara lost her
0: hair loopies. And then you realize that cartoon, like a female cartoon character design is ridiculous and hilarious. Oh, but just hair in general is ridiculous and awesome. Mm -hmm. I like the hair loopies for what it's worth. I don't know how they'd be practical, but they're fun to look at. This is the only episode in Avatar The Last Airbender in which fire is produced and spread for destructive purposes by somebody other than a firebender. Oh, interesting. Hmm. So basically, fire is usually used by firebenders to hurt people, but this time it's just like these people. Oh, because the effigies are not from mm-hmm, firebending. Right. I see. Mm-hmm. Neato. Um Magellan, I think that's going to do it for our discussion of Avatar Day.
2: Wowee. We... Looks like we did it. I guess we got to get ready for the next one, huh?
0: Yeah, we have a lot of prep work to do for this next one because it's a big one. We'll be right back to discuss the blind bandit with someone else (gasps) hello chat spender listeners it's me alan bringing you the airbag for episode 14 now this is probably going to be a pretty short one because this is a middle of the week release this is less than seven days since 13 went up but 13 went up late so we're kind of trying to catch up so that the episodes going forward will be all on time And promptly released for your listening pleasure. So, we do actually have some feedback because I requested that people still send in episode 14 airbag content. And they did. So, we started a hashtag this week. It's called hashtag rejected chat thumbnails. A little bit wordy. The idea is, when I pull screenshots for the thumbnails for the podcast episodes, I usually take more than one. Especially if I'm watching the episode on my computer, I will just pause at every funny shot and save them and put them through so that they can be made into a thumbnail later. And then I'm going to start putting all the ones I don't use on the rejected chat thumbnails over on our Twitter at ChatsPod. And so last week uh, for episode 13, I had just one that I rejected, which was this shot of a gigantic beaver platypus laying an egg at the circus right before Azula meets Tylee. It's very silly. And Doc said about it, well, if I'm ever asked if I've ever seen Rigid Fonda or a half-monkey, half-beaver lay an egg on screen, I can proudly say yes to both. That's art. That's really art. Old As Your Omen says, I only remember the B-plot of Return to Amashu* in full, but I remember Boomy being very funny and that's it. It's an in in-between episode, one that kicks off the arc and ties everything together, but it isn't really involved in the happening. It gets better later, so I don't really care. Azula's Squad is my favorite. I'm not that big of a fan of Tylee because, in my opinion, she isn't quite as fleshed out as Azula or Mai, though we do later find out why she is the way she is. Mai is my gorgeous emo princess and sometimes I want her to be my friend so we can drape ourselves over various items of furniture and languidly commiserate. I feel like that would be a good use of our time. Can I join you in that because that sounds amazing. Tylie did figure out Azula coerced her into joining her murder squad, I think during this episode. She tells Mai at some point, the circus called, but Azula called louder. Which I, I know the line you're talking about. I thought that that line was meant to imply that she was actually swayed by Azula in sort of a metaphorical sense. Like, oh, she called louder. Her cause brought me to us, not the Azula tricked me into coming with her, which was what actually happened. And regarding the Swamp, she did not like this episode. It is, again, liminal. that exists in the in-between. there's very little there it reminds me of that scene in the forest from the second hunger games book that reference soars above my head although i did watch the first hunger games movie it was fine i heard a thing on tumblr about how the southern redneck stereotype is both american and japanese the names are korean so it's both from an american's perspective of these wacky cajun people and a japanese perspective of these wacky koreans whose country we used to colonize which is neither here nor there i do think that's a really interesting view of or like a reading of that whole character work in the swamp all of that and what that means and how it fits into the racial politics of the show she really liked the line respect the ground beneath you and said it's super buddhist as well as environmentalist which in itself is great you don't see anyone get murdered on avatar ever but it's almost the threat that's scarier and it gets darker and like the show killjoys with less blood if you've ever seen that show Regarding a line where I think I said that was a really Alan-specific joke, she said yes it was, and I laughed because you're my friend. I already forget what the line was, but uh, I like to think that over here, if you listen to this show, this podcast, more and more you will start to be able to guess what things I'm going to respond to before I say them. The same with Magellan. She's also excited for talking about The Blind Bandit for reasons, and uh, that's what I'm going to say about that. (laughs) Um, Finally, Dax also sent us a tweet that said, This guy took the hashtag watch for the Harrow a little too seriously. Which I think was a joke hashtag I made at one point recently. And this is a picture of a UFC fighter with a Harrow tattooed on his chest. And that's what I'm looking at right now. One email we got this week. Well, we got two. One was from Dax telling us that he wasn't going to be able to write a full email because he's been doing some life stuff. And then we got one from our buddy Fendon. He says hello from the most humid spot in Los Angeles. He thinks his thoughts on return to Amaju pretty much line up with ours, however, his feelings on the swamp are more mixed. He agrees that it's not very relevant for the season, but he does appreciate the intent behind its elements. He liked Appa and Momo's little solo journey through the swamp and the character it gives them. Vine bending is kind of cool to him, not mind blowing, but sufficiently interesting as an extension of water bending. Sokka's still thinking about UA, something I was happy to see when I first watched this. I was hoping his experience of losing someone he saw himself having a kind of future with would be one that would have a lasting imprint on him. This just feels like a mere reminder to the audience that Yue existed and that by itself is hardly a gratifying story moment. Same thing for Katara's vision of her mother and Aang's vision. All of this stuff is going to continue to be important to one degree or another. So while somewhat disagree with Magellan in that this episode does serve to set up certain things, it's just not doing so skillfully. It's mostly tiring us over for now. Avatar Day is pretty meh. The vast majority of it is skippable, especially the sections when the mayor talks. <gasps> Don't you dare talk naughty about James Hong ever. I think I'm gonna have nightmares about that voice. What the? Fend. The only good things to come out of this episode are Kyoshi's monologue, the fight scene, and that one conversation between Zuko and Iroh. The latter in particular stuck with me. Iroh is clearly much happier living his life free of the Fire Nation, and all he wants is for Zuko to experience the same kind of happiness. The tin cup metaphor really drives us home. I'm not sure whether to interpret Zuko leaving Iroh at this point as him rejecting Iroh's teachings, or him simply trying to figure out what he wants by himself. Either way, it's heartbreaking, though it does set the stage for one of my favorite episodes in the entire show, Zuko Alone, which I'm very anxious to hear your thoughts on. I said my episode because you wrote that, Fenden, and also I agree with you, it's one of the best ones. Speaking of favorite episodes, Blind Bandit definitely near the top. To start with, the fact that the Earth Kingdom has Earth Wrestling is perfect. Mostly though, and I know this is not exactly an outlier, but it deserves to be said, I adore Toph, particularly how she upends almost every conception about Earthbending I had prior to this episode. On its face, face, Earth looks like it's the element associated with brute force, but Toph demonstrates time and again that it's possible to be tactical and precise with it. I probably would have already been satisfied had they given us a frail but actually badass female character to run out the hero cast, But the fact that they also made her a Master Earthbender because she needs to be, because it's her way of interacting with the world, that just makes it infinitely more believable. Not to mention that the sequences of her feeling the vibrations look fantastic visually. Thanks to some really superb animation, I would go so far as to say that the fight sequence where she faces off against the Earth Rumble 6 guys is my favorite at this point in the show. Wow! The way she turns her disability into an advantage by reducing the visibility for everyone else is brilliant. That word is hard to say, I'm sorry. Plus, I feel like the gang kind of paled in comparison to the Zuko-Iro dynamic until now. Toph is going to shake that up quite a bit. I'm really happy we've arrived at this section of the show. Things are only going to get better from here, and as always, I hope you guys have a fantastic week. Yours truly, Fendon. Woo! I haven't read a full email on here in a while. That was fun. I still like reading them. I I know, I, I go back and forth between, like, reading the whole email and reading just the highlights, but I think it's all highlights at some point. Speaking of highlights, if you didn't hear, remember from last week, we started a Chat Spender podcast playlist. It's called The Ambient Bag. You can find it on Spotify by searching for The Ambient Bag. I will also be linking it weekly in the podcast description and on our website over at chatspod.simplecast.fm. And every week we try to add at least one to two songs and any guests we have also gets to have their own two songs to add to the playlist this week i added obsession featuring john bellion because i think it's a really exciting song that qatar and ang would probably get into and have a dance party to and then cherry bomb by the Runaways because i think that song kind of nails Toph's personality in just like two minutes or however long it is so those are my choices magellan chose new york by st vincent which is a new song of hers beautiful song and uh, our guest chose two songs. And I'm not going to spoil because you should check out the playlist yourself over on the Spotify because we can't play music like that is licensed on the podcast. You know that. Anyways, I think I've gone on long enough here. I'm going to turn it over to Magellan, Alan, and our first ever Chatspender guest as they discuss the Blind Bandit.
2: Welcome back to the last Chat Spender. The second episode we watched this week was Season 2, Episode 6, The Blind Bandit, which was written by Michael DiMartino and directed by Ethan Spaulding. Now, Alan... Hi. This would normally be the part where I ask you what you thought of the episode, but we have somebody else to introduce right now. (gasps) And listen, well, okay... A crazy king told us that we had to find a fan who listens to the show, and then we had a vision in a magic swamp. And what I'm trying to say is, Omens is here.
4: Hi!
2: Yay! For those of you who didn't listen to Scape Chats, which was an old chapter of this grand journey of ours, Omens is one of our oldest and dearest listeners.
0: Hi, how are you doing, Omens?
4: Really good, actually. Um Like, I've been fluctuating all day, but at the moment, really, really good. I'm really excited to discuss this episode, and I am talking really fast, so I will slow down.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Please don't. First thing we always ask guests on this show is, you picked this episode for a reason. What was the reason that you picked this episode?
4: I am a person with a disability, or a disabled person, if you want to be politically correct, and... Toph is probably the best written disabled character I have ever seen, Hmm. and having this when I was a child would have been very important to me, and now it makes me cry because I have it now. That's the (laughs) short version. Mm -hmm. But Basically, this episode deals with ableism in many different shapes and forms, and I wanted to be here to comment on it because it's great.
2: (laughs) That's awesome. That's a fantastic perspective to bring to the show. Okay, let's get boilerplate impressions of the episode. Alan, you first. Give me your elevator version of what you thought of this, the blind bandit.
0: This episode's amazing. Toph is introduced in really smart ways, and they handle her, and like you said, the whole ableism thing, and the way her parents treat her in a very honest, sincere way, and Aang respects her, and I love the pacing of it. I like the wrestling chapter of it, and just the whole arc of her character is stupendous.
2: There was a point, there were multiple points in my notes where I said, okay, I'm not taking any more notes. Partly because I knew that Omens was going to have very detailed notes, (laughs) but um, also partly because I just wanted to focus entirely on this episode. It felt like one that demanded my full attention because it had such a fantastic blend of action and comedy and really different unique directorial choices through the way that Toph sees and perceives the world and i think all of that came together to make an episode of avatar that is um both really sets itself apart from others but also represents everything that's great about this show
4: yeah if i don't take notes i cry so yeah (laughs) that's why my notes are so
2: detailed (laughs) um so where, where do your detailed notes take us first? Where do you, where do you want to dive into this They thing?
4: take us at the very beginning of the plot, for me at least, because I just went moment by moment. Mm-hmm. And it begins with an unassuming scene of Sokka buying a bag, which is a nice little start before all the heaviness.
2: I like that bag. I'd buy that I bag. do.
4: It's nice. It's great. Aang needs to find an earthbending teacher. And fast. So he is in, I think it's Bossing Say.
0: No, this is not. Ba, this is not Bossing Say. No, it's this not
4: Bossing Say. They're not Boss. They're not in Bossing Say yet.
0: Yeah. Um, hey. <laughs> 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 I mean, we know that they're gonna go yeah, we there. We've heard the
2: name of the place like ten times. <laughs> yes, that's true. They're just in some town. They're yeah. in some
4: town in the Earth in the Earth Kingdom, and Aang needs to go. Needed to go there to find an Earth teacher, and there is one named master you
2: well and they surely get mad- he must be great <laughs> he's a master and,
4: yes um obviously so they get an advertisement for his school and the first lesson is free and and goes there and gets his butt kicked
0: <laughs> by like five-year-olds by like
4: five-year-olds because he has not earth-bended at all in his life and then he doesn't want to pay more pay for more lessons, because Master U is kind of a dick anyway.
2: It reminded me of that time in fifth grade when I took a swimming lesson with a bunch of first graders and I didn't pass. That's sort of what that felt like.
4: <laughs> yeah, that was me with horse riding lessons in third grade. Um.
0: <laughs> I didn't take classes. <laughs> <laughs>
4: And then after that, they hear about this tournament called Earth Rumble 6. Lovely name, by the way. Absolutely <laughs> great. It's kind of like wrestling, only with earthbending. And there's lots of, like, anime wrestling tropes and sports anime tropes in there. I've never seen a sports anime in my life, but that's what I think they're like. So,
2: somehow you know all the tropes. Which, yeah, you yeah, know. Somehow. I'm, I'm, I'm there, too. I loved th- this wrestling competition was fantastic I, I love that this season is starting to veer a little bit more into genre pastiche in the episode before this we got Sokka doing a whole Sherlock Holmes thing and it, it's just it's playing more with um, sort of cultural iconography and I, I yeah so there's a lot of fun turns here I loved um, the what's his name the boulder which is who's yes. he's the rock right the
4: boulder's great um, I love
2: him He's, he's The Rock meets Randy Savage. Right, and he's play he's played by a real wrestler. I think.
4: Yeah, The Rock was actually gonna voice him, but he had to pull out. Huh? I saw that in an Amazon trivia thing. No.
2: <gasps> but it would have been really oh, awesome if would have been so cool. um,
4: The Rock voiced him because The
2: Rock. And then the <laughs> the fire Nation the guy who's like the heel from the Fire Nation has a Russian accent. That was <laughs> it was very good.
1: Please to
3: rise for Fire Nation national anthem Fire
0: Lord my flame burns for thee Go back to the fire nation I kind of wanted more of this wrestling stuff and I think competitive bending is an area of this universe that we don't get to explore enough yet but like this idea that we all do this thing, some of us use it constructively some of us use it destructively but also what if we just pay got people to pay to watch us beat each other up and th- like there's no death involved the whole point of the game is to knock people off of a of a platform yeah but it's just like fun it's just like, hey we're gonna have fun with these powers that we all simultaneously mm-hmm. developed and that's that's what we do with our time
4: it's kind of like martial arts sparring in that, like, you have these matches between two people and, of course, bending is based off of martial arts in the first place. But the thing that gets me with the bending tournament stuff is that, like, it's not quite constructive. Like, it's just fun. But, like, as Aang said when Katara was like, oh, the boulder should be your bending teacher. He's like, but he's not listening to the earth. He's listening to his big muscles.
0: Speaking of uh, cool wrestling characters, rule of threes. The boulder beats up a bunch of people. And then who's the last contester? It's the blind bandit. Who's going to be this tough dude? This, this is a group of bunch of men. Sock, uh, Katara literally says that at the beginning. She's like, oh, we're going to watch a bunch of men fight. This sucks. It's a girl. A tiny
4: <sighs> blind girl. You've got no <laughs> idea how much that means to me.
0: <laughs>
4: <laughs> I am a tiny disabled girl. And like just watching that was really awesome.
0: Because she wipes the floor with him. Like she yes, him she like does. Seconds. It's uh, great. <laughs> she, it, it ends up being this thing where they use her disability as a superpower almost. And so she can do sort of the daredevil thing where as long as she can feel vibrations either in her feet or in one part of her body, then she can uh, see things through vibrations and use that to sort of like predict movements based on like how people travel And so she, like, trips up the boulder and makes him, like,
2: sploot his pants, whoa, awkward. Well, yeah, she hurt, I mean, you know, it's symbolic of her defeating this male power fantasy that Sokka's completely bought into, that he, (laughs) like, she, like, hurts his balls. Uh, Exactly.
4: for most feminist character on the show. (laughs)
2: <laughs> well and and i think we we glossed over katara beating up those dudes in an alley and freezing them
0: i wanted her to come back with their skulls i wanted her to be like because she the two guys are like oh it's none of your business where the tournament is and she's like i'll be right back oh boys and I want her to turn around with, like, bloodied heads in both of her hands and just be like, I know where the tournament is. We got tickets.
4: That's too gory for a children's show, honestly.
0: The, the closest thing they get to that violence with Katara is she sticks them both to the wall with ice. And you're like, <laughs> yes, women are very tough on this yeah. show. And that's great. Yeah. And Toph is tough. And Ang sees that. Not only does he realize she's tough and cool, he also goes, wait a minute. That's the girl from my dreams. <laughs> no. And, oh, whoa, well, I must... I must have her teach me. Just, again, l- I love the fact that Avatar, The Last Airbender's main characters, are confident and not like be sad people. <laughs> At least not all the time. Like he just walks right up to him. and he's like, I'm going to fight the boss. He's like, What? <laughs> yeah, that's me. I'm going to fight Toph and I'm going to win. And he does because he can kind of cheat. He can airbend. Yeah. And she can't see him when he's airbending. Mm-hmm. The people who run the Wrestling Federation are like, Uh, They definitely split the payment because we told them, hey, if anyone can beat the blind bandit, then they get a bunch of gold. And so they think that it was like a a intentional fall on Toph's part. Toph
4: being like snarky and kind of um, like kind of a mean character is low key my lifeblood.
0: (laughs) Yeah. She's not, like, friendly and accommodating to people.
4: No, of course. And, like, there's no reason she should be aside from that it's, like, good societal behavior. And boom, we have just found her character arc.
0: Exactly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. It just shows itself because she's the daughter of the Beifong family, Uh who in the Avatar universe are the richest family ever.
4: But they don't have a daughter, which leads us to ableist crap number one. Um, oh, I didn't even
0: pick up on that. They don't mention. <laughs> they don't tell people that they have a daughter. No, they don't. Oh.
4: Um, and or wait, no. This is technically, like technically. Um, the boulder saying that he didn't want to fight a young blind girl was ableist crap number one. Yeah. But this is ableist crap number two.
2: Well, yeah. The boulder gets over his conflicted feelings. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah, yeah.
4: <laughs> um, and like. It's nasty and so historically disgusting, because because th- this actually happened yeah. to disabled people in the past, and not necessarily now, because I think it's illegal. But <laughs> <laughs> we find out that kind of being isolated is very integral to Toff's like ruse and her ability to fight as the blind bandit.
0: Mm.
4: So it kind of benefits her.
0: Right, she doesn't want to be famous, world famous, known for her name, Toph Beifong. Like, she never talks about her her history. She, she adopts this character because that's the only way that she can, like, be the person that she wants to be with people, which is, like, surprisingly powerful.
4: Yes, but also her parents wouldn't let her earth back. Right, right. Her dad is probably (laughs) the exaggerated personification of many parents of children with disabilities Mm -hmm. and it is so sad to me
2: right with the whole like oh you're so frail Yeah. you can't do anything i need to protect you by shutting you away from the world yeah like
4: i had lovely parents but like if you go on the internet the chronic illness community deals with this a lot and either you're either on this is the other end of the spectrum you either like smother your child or you say they're faking wow
0: yeah huh yeah, yeah and, they, and they choose that and they choose the former you know they yes. choose to just be like you know he literally I think the line is she is blind and tiny and helpless and fragile she cannot help you you're like yes. oh <laughs> and that is the impetus of her to go actually <laughs> let me let me single-handedly take out everybody here
3: i'm pleased to hear that toff's private lessons are going well but I want to be sure she's not trying anything too dangerous. Absolutely not. I'm keeping her at the beginner's level. Basic forms and breathing exercises only. Very good. Excuse me, sir, but you have a visitor. Who thinks they are so important they can just come to my home unannounced? Uh, the Avatar,
4: sir. First time we see Toff's dad's face. This is just me being a giant nerd here. But he is drinking tea from a Gaiwan in exactly the way you're supposed to do
2: it. Hey, nice. <laughs> Attention to detail. With the like, wafting, using the lid.
4: Yeah, you to sniff waft from the lid and, and you see the sound, yeah. and then you drink it.
0: The way that they find out that Toph is a member of the Beifong family is they go back to those two trash boys <laughs> who were stuck to the ice wall and they find out from them what's going on, and then they say some mean stuff, and then Katara and Sokka uh, leave in what is like one of the most famous shots in avatar yeah you better leave
1: hey i got my eye on you water
0: tribe they recreate that shot shot for like exactly in uh, as it is in the legend of Korra, like season two or three hmm. oh, okay. Uh, with another member of the beifong family is all i'm gonna say
4: oh and, okay
0: yeah it's like really clever and funny and it's like <laughs> whoa they they like recreated this specific moment of just like, Oh, Water Tribe, tough, tough, cool people. Um, and I just love that. That uh, we're probably not going to do a full po- a core podcast, but there is so much care put into the way that they call back to this show, yeah. even in those little moments like that. Mm-hmm. But, anyways, yeah, uh, Toph and, and Ang fight it out and don't like each other at first. And then I think he's like kicked out. What is this? No, what's no the not at the moment. Um,
4: okay. First, he stays the night. At their place. And Toph is like, why don't we call it a truce? Like, I'm sorry about dinner. Let's, like, not be angry at each other anymore. Right. And they go out into the garden. And that is when Toph puts her hand to the ground and realizes they're being ambushed. But before that, she talks about how um, her family, thinking she's helpless, has, like, impacted her life and made her, like, the way she is and made her want to become the blind bandit. But also, she has nowhere else to go, so she can't be happy.
1: Hmm.
4: Which is sad, but also accurate.
0: <laughs> so, it turns out she has to discover what everyone that joins the gang discovers, which is, your friends are a better family than your family sometimes. Yes. And you, it, they're like, a new, it's like a new family, and you have to form that group with them. Yes. So i like that a lot and Mm -hmm. uh she they get captured in some metal prisons because you can't bend metal and (laughs) why even though it's earth uh and then uh they get taken to the arena and then i think the whole thing is like bring the money back and we'll give you back Toph and Mm ang so immediately everyone's like yeah of course we'll give the money back They get this little sack of coins they give back Toph. thanks guys thanks for giving away our secret weapon but they're like, we're going to keep the Avatar because the Fire Nation is going to give us like a trillion coins for this young bald boy. We're going to keep him. Just kidding. Here's all these wrestlers that we're going to have fight you again. It's like the second when you beat Punch-Out and you have to fight all the guys, but they have like better armor. It's that. Mm. <laughs> yes.
4: But also like Tuff is just so badass. <laughs> I-, I love her so much. Like you never you never see this. You never see, like, oh, my daughter is blind and tiny and helpless and fragile, and then she's like, well, no, sorry. I'm gonna go fight these people, bye. Wait!
0: They're mine. They're mine. It's so intense. And then she just crushes, like, five adult men with her simple earth bending, and it's and then like literally bounces one of them on rocks over and over again like she like you said she like gets creative with it she's not just beating them she's like toying with them um the way that azula is so powerful but in like a reserved like i could crush you with a lightning fingertip if i wanted to uh in this case toff is like i'm gonna toy with you because that's what i like to do because the world never lets me have fun and this is my fun is crushing old men yes <laughs> um,
4: and, and again, you never see that in disabled characters. But right. the entire fight scene is just, like, again, my lifeblood. But after that, you get the pinnacle of crap on top of the cake of crap. And um, Toph's dad is, like, on his little throne thing in his reception room. And um, Toph is in front of him, and she's like, Hey, Dad, I love fighting. It's great. Dad...
3: I know it's probably hard for you to see me this way, but the obedient little helpless blind girl
2: that you think I am just isn't me. I love fighting. I love being an earthbender. And I'm really, really good at it. I know I've kept my life secret from you, but you were keeping me secret from the whole world.
3: You were doing it to protect me, but I'm 12 years old and I've never had a real friend. So now that you see who I really am, I hope it doesn't change the way you feel about me. Of course it doesn't change the way I feel about you, Toph. It's made me realize something. It has? Yes. I've let you have far too much freedom. From now on, you will be cared for and guarded 24 hours a day. But Dad! We are doing this for your own good, Toph. Please escort the Avatar and his friends out. They are no longer welcome here.
2: I'm sorry, Toph. I'm sorry too.
0: Goodbye, Yang.
2: As if
4: she's not isolated and has, like, low self esteem and no way to learn how to interact with people already. Right. She has never interacted with children her age. Except for these three. In the scene behind her, and Katara Saka. That is literally it. And they've only been there for, like, um a day i guess
0: right oh my god and so what makes it the more the most sad is like not only is he gonna lock her up but they mention like oh we have master uh master you and he keeps teaching you but he says at the beginning of that scene like never take her out of beginner classes she doesn't she's gonna learn but she only gets to do breathing exercises and this stuff which is again like you don't teach a woman fighting and also you don't teach a disabled person how to fight and be confident and powerful like mm. what are you doing how what are you going to raise her to do then just to be like a prim princess who we don't touch and also don't mention that she exists exactly what is this life that he's relegating to her to it's so it's like incredibly tragic yes um and but but hey he said he gave her his blessing and then she leaves and she goes hey guys i'm gonna join my dad said it's okay and you're like mm. and they're like yeah that makes
2: sense we believe <laughs> we believe that <laughs>
0: Just Uh, lies to their faces. Your dad seems fickle. Yeah, he just changes his mind on the fly. And uh, the weird thing about that last scene also is um, she hops on Appa and she's happy. But I was like, do you think Toph got scared the first time she got on Appa because she lost ground?
4: I think, Uh, maybe. But before that, you have that, like, probably the best moment of the scene where, or the best moment of of this episode where she's like, come down here for a second Aang. You're going to be a great teacher, Toph. Speaking of which, I want to show you something. Okay. Ah! Now we're even. Um, I'll take the belt back.
0: Sorry. Uh. Omens, do you have any other piece of trivia that you wanted to bring up that you didn't?
4: Um, Not trivia, really, but... Just
0: or, uh, no, t- sorry, all notes also.
4: Yeah, I've got an entire list of why I love Toph. But, <laughs> um... Yeah, um, she, she's just great and well-rounded. And the, the, the good thing about the show is they, like, never mess her up. Right. I think I record... I think I remember, like, once they did something kind of crappy. But that's, like, a track record for a show like this that is almost absolutely perfect
2: Mm, yeah yeah
4: and she's just wonderful so that's that okay magellan quick question yes did you did you get my tweet
2: uh i sent you a
4: tweet (laughs) as to why you might be a sutara shipper
2: i let me just double check i think i got it (laughs) okay because
4: you didn't reply and i thought it was a pretty well thought out tweet
2: oh 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 oh! about dante basco and may whitman both being on american dragon jake long Yes.
0: Wow. Isn't he Jake Long?
2: Yeah, he's. Yes, Jake he is Long. Jake Long. I definitely, I definitely went, did watch yeah. some episodes of that show, but my brother was more of an American Dragon Jake Long person than I was.
4: Okay. Yeah, I only saw a couple episodes, but um, that might be where your Zutara shippage kind of came in there. But I can't. I'm, I'm not going to fight all Zutara shippers anymore. Honestly, I understand where you're coming from. I just don't agree. I just don't agree with. That I'm at just all. trying to
2: have. <laughs> uh, it's just the show okay. is so. Not encouraging me to do that—that I have to for the sake of fun.
4: Yeah, yeah, do that. Um, it'll—I'm just gonna say it gets easier as it goes along.
0: (laughs) No, don't tell him that. No, (laughs) he needs to think it's hopeless. Um, speaking of, I can't segue this. Can we? Can I talk about trivia now? Do it. There's a lot of trivia. Yes, do that. Okay, I'm gonna blast through these because there's a ton. This was the first episode to use the previously on Avatar teaser heard in all subsequent episodes. Is that true? What? Yeah, what? This is the first episode (laughs) to use previously on Avatar? That's not true. Mm -mm.
2: it's not. Does it mean that it changed? changed?
0: Because sometimes it was like different
2: voices doing it. Oh, maybe? Maybe. That'd be weird.
0: Um, speaking of like sounds, the song that plays during Master Yu's first conversation with Lao Fong is The Jasmine Flower, a traditional Chinese folk song used later in the show as a theme for the Beifong family. Ooh. Ooh. Toph calling Aang the fancy dancer. Oh, let's just say that. Let's just stop that one right there.
2: A little spoiler,
0: <laughs> probably. In, yeah, maybe. In this episode, Toph calls Aang Twinkle Toes, which later becomes her nickname for Aang that's nice yes
4: and um and uh, katara uh, well i keep wanting to say katara is sugar word i can't say on this podcast because we're um kid friendly here
0: (laughs) oh yeah yeah, Um. yeah. (laughs) sugar snacks um one of the boys that katara beats up has the same hairstyle as the hippo in the commentary the creators say that that's because he's a fan oh that's funny that's a funny touch yeah a little bit of um headcanon from the actual people who made it mm-hmm. in the extras it was said that the Bayfongs are the richest people in the southern earth kingdom I still think that they were just the richest people period that's cool to me um oh this is a fun one according to the commentary also Master Use Academy is a reference to the sort of shady strip mall dojo that gives martial arts schools a bad name mm-hmm. this piece of trivia was written by somebody who ran a martial arts school <laughs> 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 Master, you stated that if Aang paid for the whole year, he would move him up to the next belt, referring to uh, martial arts. That's the Useless. This particular episode is also titled The Earthbending Tournament, not to be confused with the title Uh, Oh, this is like an iTunes confusion thing. Whatever. And then a segment of The Avatar's Love is played again at the end, because we love Toph. Uh, Earth Rumble 6 is a parody of professional wrestling matches called the Royal Rumble, including parodies of many professional wrestlers. References include The Boulder can be referred to as uh, a Dwayne the Rock Johnson reference, since his dark skin and him referring to himself in the third person lines up, and he's ironically voiced by Mick Mankind Foley, one of the Rock's biggest rivals and closest friends in wrestling. Mick Foley, holy, holy crud, that's awesome.
4: Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know that person, but um, I feel like the Rock is kind of friends with everybody, though.
0: I want to be friends with the Rock. <laughs> I want the rock to bench press me in the extras. It was said that the show's creators tried to get the former wrestler to be the boulder, though. The details were not explained. Yeah, there you go. The fire nation man is a reference to wrestling's tradition of ersatz bad guy. Yeah, he's a heel. He's doing, yeah, during the cold war, many of these bad guys were from Russia, but are are actually Americans putting on accents. Fire nation's accent. Fire nation man's accent was notably Russian. There you go. Sokka's behavior during the match is a reference to a stereotypical wrestling fan where he's just like rooting for the face Mm -hmm. and, he wants to like, crush her when he sees the Blind Bandit. Um, The Earth Rumble Championship belt is similar to the WWE Championship belt. And finally, the raised fist logo for Earth Rumble 6, which is very similar to a socialist emblem, is also a more subtle reference to the steel fist that used to be the iconic piece in the stage set of SmackDown, WWE SmackDown, for a number of years. Huh. Hmm. Huh. Yeah, so big wrestling fans, big nerds, big fun here on the Blind Bandit. Um, but yeah, I think that's going to do it for our discussion of this episode and for our episode of The Last Chat Spender. Um, Owens, thank you. This was a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed this. You're
4: very welcome, and thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. Um, next week on Avatar The Last Chat Spender. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I hit a loop. Uh, we are watching Book 2, Episode 7. Zuko alone traveling without uncle. Now I uh, I know traveling without uncle. Now Zuko wanders alone into an earth kingdom town where he bonds with a local boy. Meanwhile, Zuko is haunted by memories of his own youth.
2: Oh my God. Yes.
0: That's the one you want. That's the one you want. And book two, episode eight, the chase. As the kids are pursued relentlessly by a mysterious machine, their exhaustion puts them at each other's throats. Oh. I don't remember liking this episode. Oh,
4: fun. my God. I, I forget. Wait. um, Is this? Um, um, I'm sorry. No, don't say it. I'm not going to say it. I don't i do not remember this one, but I think machine. I think something else that will happen. Yes, right? I know what you're
0: talking about. <laughs> I do know. It's not that. It's, okay. it's a different thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's coming later in the season. <laughs> Sorry, this is what happens when you get two people to watch the show And one person who hasn't There's lots of like uh, uh, Bite your tongue um, I think it's time to not bite our tongues And to actually uh, let loose our tongues With the words of plugs Segways <laughs> Omens, where can people find you on the internet?
4: I am on Twitter At Old your Omens And on Tumblr At chasingtheskyline.tumblr.com And Pretty much nowhere else
0: Fantastic. That's the only places. Yep. Um you can always email the show over at chatspot at gmail.com, spelled c-h-a-t-z-p-o-d at gmail.com. You can tweet at chatspot if you want to be included in the airbag. Both of those places are good places to do that. And you can also DM us spoiler talk if you want. And uh you cannot find me on Twitter or anything like that, but I'm on another podcast. It's called Fireside Friends. It can be found wherever you listen to podcasts. It's a pop culture show. We have a lot of fun. Uh, and there's a patreon and there's a bunch of guests and it's a good time john what about you you can find me
2: on twitter at just a fluke that's j-u-s-t-a-p-f-l-u-k-e you can send me tweets about american dragon jake long always accept those and enjoy those you can also listen to me on another podcast it's called adulthood listen here's what happens every week i watch 15 seconds of the movie boyhood and then i just i just figure out what to do about it
4: and it's great honestly I'm not quite caught up, but it's great. Also, are you, uh, Alan? Are you still running the Chatspod Twitter account?
0: Yeah, I thought the tweet today was from me. Oh,
4: okay, cool. Because um, yeah. I I wouldn't want to DM Magellan any sort of. No,
0: Magellan. That's ever. what I mean. Magellan doesn't look at the DMs on that account, so you're good if you want to just get into like even like Korra spoilers. I've watched that show. Okay. Or the comics even. Ooh. Oh. Someday we'll talk about the the comics and the part where Aang calls Katara. Well, never mind. <laughs> um. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the last chat spender. Yip, yip.